All conversations and information exchanged during participation in this podcast or interaction on the Doctor.com website is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Do not confuse this with treatment or physician medical advice or direction per se. You must always follow your medical professional's advice and direction. Nothing on these podcasts or posted on this site supplements or supersedes the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Please understand, I am not playing the role of physician in this environment per se. I'm educating. I am a licensed physician with specialty boards in American Board of Internal Medicine and American Board of Addiction Medicine. Hey, this is Dr. Drew, and you are listening to This Life with Bob Foy and Dr. Drew. Here we are. Boys and girls, here we are again for another episode of This Life with Dr. Drew and Bob. And Dr. Drew's wearing a Don't Die Wisconsin shirt. I am indeed. I forgot. Uh, representing. Representing. Forgot They'll be excited. So, you're good? I'm good. You want to talk about media or something? Yeah, I want to talk about There's just too much of it. <laughs> can, can, can I bring our guest in first? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Zach Gowan, he lost his leg to cancer at age 8. He went on to become the first... One-legged professional wrestler in history. At 19, he signed a three-year contract with WWE. And you can see him on SmackDown and American Ninja War- N- American Ninja Warrior. Welcome, Zach. Zach, how are you? There he is. I'm, I'm doing well, Dr. Drew. Bob, how are you guys? Thank you for having me on. This is really exciting. It's cool. Thanks for being on. You guys are freaking legends. It's, I'm so happy to be here talking with you guys. Where are you now? I'm I'm in my home in Detroit, Michigan. Detroit. 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 Yes, sir. Is that where you grew up? This is where I grew up, born and raised. Nice. And uh, it, Zach has a substance history. Yes. Yes, he does. I know that. Due to the, the leg amputation. Yeah, did it start with opiate exposure during the cancer treatment? Yes, but I don't really remember that too much. I remember the first time I got drunk and high, it was very vivid. I was 16 years old and I felt very close to a, uh, to a spiritual experience. You know, um, I I really believe that if normal people, uh, experience drugs and alcohol the way that addicts experience drugs and alcohol there wouldn't be any confusion as to why we do what we do you know what i mean like we feel it at a depth and gravity that most people don't understand but when i was eight years old going through uh cancer i I really don't remember the the drugs i just remember being in uh, a lot of pain and and not feeling good exactly uh, there's there's, there's sort of two versions of what you described there at 16 one version is relief like uh like i've been carrying pain around and this is the first time this is how normal people feel you know i'm feeling feeling okay for the first time in my life versus oh my god this is the greatest thing ever now the oh my god part um with alcohol particularly uh occurs in certain ethnic groups do you have any north american indian background zach did we lose him i'm I'm sorry you're breaking up a little bit okay just do you have any native american in you not that I know of, no. So Irish. Uh, Irish. I'm Irish. Yeah. I'm, I- I'm an Irish, Irish. boy. I know that's that. The other, sure. that's, the <laughs> that's the other group. So Irish, Irish Scottish, is the next best thing. Yeah, Irish, Scottish, North American, Indian. Those are the ones that have the experience with alcohol that's, oh, my God, this is the greatest thing ever. I had no, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, it felt like a new dimension opened up, and I was experiencing something for the first time in my life, and it was such a euphoria. Um, and, and for me, once I started, the, the, the uh, compulsion – aspect didn't kick in for for a number of years after no but, the uh, looking but i forward. do vividly remember the first time that, that euphoria I, I grabbed my buddy by his shoulders i looked deep into his eyes and i said brother are you feeling what i'm feeling right now because this is amazing <laughs> right and the 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 idea is that you don't i had the same experience at like 15 or 16 and you don't jump into daily use what i jumped what i made a mental note of right Anytime I can be this free, I am going to be this free. Yeah. So that that Amen. meant that meant not during the school week. So that meant Friday night. You know, you you still had this balance in your life of wanting to achieve your goals, and slowly and insidiously, that gets eroded. It gets taken where, away. Yeah, it gets by the. I drank in my sophomore year of high school. By my senior year, I was drinking in classrooms. <laughs> right, but initially like what you're describing zach i didn't i didn't do it the next night but right. now i had the thing that i was gonna do when i could and have fun strangely with. though people do get that sort of digital experience with pot where it's like oh my god i gotta do this 
again. They wake up worrying, thinking about it the next day. I think day. nowadays they do, but in, in my day, pot was, you could smell it. It was super illegal. Yeah, it was yeah. super criminalized. But alcohol, you know, was something you you were going to do for an evening, yeah. right? Yeah. And I remember having a similar experience. I drank, a, I always tell this story, I drank a six-pack of beer split between two of my friends and me. I drank the third one because the one guy said it was making him feel sick. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> and I looked at the other guy, like, which one of us is going to have that one? And he wasn't looking like he was enjoying it too much either. Oh, my God, that's so So that, that experience, that's what, that's the beginning and then it works a long time, doesn't it, Zach, for fun and and frivolity? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, if it <laughs> if it didn't work, I wouldn't have done it. <laughs> it. It worked. It worked really well. Uh, it worked uh, almost too too well. That's another uh, and, thing. That and normal... to piggyback off your point, Bob, I think normal people experience drugs and alcohol. They'll have two or three drinks, and then they experience that slightly out of control, tipsy feeling. Um, I have two or three drinks, and I feel uh, more in control, right. so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's just the way that it reacts and metabolizes in my body. Um, and, and I can't really you know, pinpoint a, a genetic component to it or, or, or a reason behind it. I just know that that's what the evidence suggests. Well, and the, the uh, guy named Mark Shuckett did a cohort of sons of alcoholic fathers and tried to predict what, what feature – predicted the probability of developing, uh, developing alcoholism and resistance to alcohol intoxication. Yeah, tolerance. was the single biggest predictor. Not tolerance. You just wow. don't, you just don't get intoxicated. You get what Zach, you get focused. You don't get you it's why alcoholics don't get hit for DUIs until their blood levels are way up. Right. So well, yeah, I got, I got, I mean, for, I got energy from alcohol. I got energy from opiates. Top um, Jimmy, I, the guy that I that taught me a lot, his name's Top Jimmy. He's in the documentary about me, the claymation guy, right? So he was really drunk, and he asked to use my car one night when I was about twenty-one, right? And I said, Jimmy, you're too drunk to drive. He goes, Oh no, Mister Jones, this is the best time for me to drive. Wow. Tomorrow morning, it's a bad time oh, for oh, me oh, to oh, drive. Oh, <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> Tomorrow morning's a bad time for me to drive. Yeah, I the the only reason I got a DUI is because I made an illegal U-turn, and I I, I had a, I made a, a cop saw me make an illegal U-turn, and I had a headlight that was out. Um, I think I blew like a, a point two oh, uh, which 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 blew him away because I was driving just fine and I was having a conversation just like you and I are having this conversation. But that that really speaks to the tolerance that developed. Uh, up, up at a certain point, you and know, they're, they're lowering the blood alcohol level here in California to 0.5, right? which is like 0.05. a half a glass of wine. Right. Wow! So that's just to make more money for the state. Probably. is my my yeah. my take on it. So, what was your bottom, Zach? What happened? Um, I don't know. I think I had. I th- I didn't plan on getting sober. <laughs> ah. I, didn't, I didn't really want to get sober. Um, I reached a point in my life where I thought there was only two options. Um, I thought, okay, well, I can drink and I can use drugs and I can be miserable because uh, at this point, everything just kind of stopped working. Um, and the other option for me was to not drink and not use drugs and be miserable. <laughs> I really thought, you know, I really thought there, those are my only two options that I was looking at. And I, I was, and I felt there was an end near um, and that end whether it was death or getting sober, um, I was open to either one, whichever whichever came first. And I thank God that that recovery came uh, came first. Um, I remember I was living with my mom, and uh, she cornered me in the kitchen one day, and, and and she just asked me. She goes, "Zach, what's wrong with you? Are you on drugs? Are you high? What is happening?" I mean, I thought I was really good at hiding it, but Obviously, she knew because she went through this with my father and she knew that something was wrong with me at this point. And for some reason, the truth came out and I wanted to lie. I wanted to say, um, no, I'm fine. Everything's good. So I can continue the life that I was living in terms of using drugs and drinking. Um, But this weird out of body third person looking down on my head experience happened and the words came out of my mouth. And those words were, uh, yes, I'm, I'm high but I don't want to be and I'm scared and I don't know what to do and I need help. And for some reason, these words just spilled out of my mouth and that set off the chain 
uh, a, a reaction for the past, you know, nine years, I've been living this, this life um, of complete sobriety. And I'm living a life that, that I didn't even know was possible. Mm. So when you were really in the middle of your high flying disease, were you, were you wrestling professional wrestling? Yes, I and was that, trying to. I experienced the but most. That world is full of, of drugs, my, right? That world is full of drugs. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I'm still wrestling now. And it's funny to go to these shows and to be offered drugs uh, and drinks <laughs> all the time. <laughs> and 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 you I always say no. Big, I, don't know, think, and, I don't think but, Drew and knows. And then people get weird when oh, I say I, no. They're like, "Oh my God, I'm sorry. I didn't know. I didn't." And I say, no, I appreciate the offer and I appreciate the spirit behind what you're trying to do, you know, but that's not something I've partaken. But Um, but, but but let's let's go into wrestling because Drew thinks it's just the prescription opiates. Everybody, it's like rock and roll. I've been around it a little bit. It's like cocaine and Xanax. Isn't the wrestling world like that? No, it's like yeah, rock, it, it's, it's like it's rock and roll. It's just like any other performance or any other entertainment industry. We're up late at night performing these shows. We got to get up early in the morning and, and go on to the next town, and 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 we have to maintain. Plus, we're beating our bodies up completely. Plus, you get the adrenaline and the rush for from for performing, and you get the adulation and um, people cheering for you and all of that. And it's all all mixed. Of course, it's gonna. It's a perfect petri dish for um uh drugs and alcohol i mean how could it go any other way right there's a great documentary about andre the giant i mean that guy knew how to party right (laughs) have you seen it have you seen it yeah there's stories of him drinking 100 beers and 100 beers andre the giant he had a move where if he if somebody pissed him off, he'd come uh, evacuate himself on their bed. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yes, I forget who what told me that evacuate story. What does evacuate self you know mean? I forget who told me that story about he him. shit on their bed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's why you know I was a little bit on the fringes of of the wrestling world in the in the early nineties, right? I knew a couple wrestlers, and it was. It was really what rock, what I always thought rock and roll was like. They they do cocaine right before they go out there. But they're doing steroids too, so steroids is a stimulant already. And what about cocaine? And with just it? puts puts a little icing on top. Uh, well, I'm it trying goes to think together. Of, goes together. There was an old. Remember all the different routes, Zach. There was a southern route, a southern district that McMahon had. Um, a friend of mine was uh, Golden Boy Mike Golden. His name was. That was, that was his wrestling name. Have you ever heard of this guy, Golden Boy Mike Golden? Look him up. I've right. never heard of Mike Golden. So he, but he before was the eighties, before Vince McMahon and WWE monopolized the industry and made it a global brand. Uh, there was territories in the South. Yeah, he was uh, in Los the South. Los Angeles, Oregon, yeah, Mid South, yeah. East Coast. You know what I'm saying? So the, the 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 business itself was broken up into separate territories. Yeah, and he was a part of that Southern territory. And and Thelonious Monster toured a lot, and we would always be in the same town, and we go to the wrestling matches, and it was so exciting. And it was a perfect place for a guy like me. <laughs> so, so now you're sober and you're in that world. I bet you there's more sober people in it now. There, well, thanks to there, there's been an absolute shift in the culture because, like you're talking about, all of these, a, a lot of these stars from the '80s and early '90s um, uh, are have dropped. They were dropping off like flies, Dying? and it was it was an it was an industry wide yeah, epidemic, is. and uh, so, so there was a huge cultural shift. Uh, I want to say about ten, twelve years ago, when WWE implemented a policy, a wellness policy, stating that anybody under contract or anybody who's ever been under contract with the company, um, they, WWE, the company. Pay for their treatment. Wow! Uh, if That's if they're struggling with something, That's yeah, and, and because of this policy, I'm I'm convinced this policy saved my life oh. and a number of my contemporaries' lives uh, that are that are that are walking the path now uh, with me, and wow. uh, I'm very 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 grateful. See, there's something that somebody can make a decision at a management level and make a profound effect on their industry. I, I've always said that in athletic endeavors, it, the NBA is the model for it. You can have an inclusive system pretty easily if you just have the right set of policies and procedures. Well, he's and but pay for treatment too is the, is the key. Yeah, right. But the, but they could manage that payment. They could have outpatient, inpatient. They could all kinds of ways of doing it. Right. 
And so Drew just Googled and found a picture of Golden Boy Mike Golden, and he looks like a guy in Motley Crue, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. It's so crazy. Yeah. The 80s were so great. <laughs> <laughs> there was no I difference. missed out. There's no difference. <laughs> I was a kid. I missed out on it. There was no difference between the wrestlers and the rock and rollers and the basketball players. They were all on drugs. Good times. Good times. <laughs> uh, you can follow Zach at Zach Gowan, G-O-W-A-N.com, Instagram, Twitter, at Zach Gowan. Uh, and Zach, what are you doing these days? What's, uh, I understand you're doing some stuff for youth engagement, working with kids. Yeah, it's the best. And uh, it's, it's Z-A-C-H-G-O-W-E-N, oh. uh, not A-N. Ooh, Just, thank um, you. Not to not to correct the great Dr. No, Drew. No, my producer. Like that, but I want to make my, sure my producer that, misspelled um, it. Thank wait, you. say that again. Yeah. It's G O W E N. And if okay. I had looked at the screen, I would have seen that. And is it right. Z A C H? Yes. Okay. Z A C H. Yep. G O W E N. Okay, we'll make sure we get that um, right. And what's your yes, answer? thank you. And it, so the uh, my main source of income is I travel the country with uh, the nation's leading youth engagement company called Cool Speak. Um, and, uh, we go into the, we go to inner city, we go into suburban, we go uh, rural, we go everywhere. Uh, and we work with kids and what I'm, what I'm really doing is, uh, sharing the tools that I've learned in recovery and I'm putting it in a language that these kids can digest and understand. Um, and of course I'm using the hook of, you know, having a robotic leg and wrestling John Cena and competing on American Ninja Warrior. I'm using all of that as a bridge to be able to connect with these kids and, and hopefully plant a seed of inspiration and hope because, um, you know, the biggest problem I see is, is disconnecting this and, and, and these kids who are disenfranchised um, and they're lost. And I was once one of those kids in the audience. So uh, to be able to share through my experience, hopefully plant some seeds of inspiration, give them some tools. Uh, for me, it's kind of a full circle deal. And it's very, very satisfying. Um, it's certainly it, to me more satisfying than professional wrestling. Uh, but I also still wrestle part time because that scratches an itch that that speaking and keynoting and workshopping with Cool Speak doesn't quite get. Um, and I also teach yoga too. Wow, wow. <laughs> I also teach DDP yoga, um, and I run uh, classes all over Detroit. And I work with amputees, and I work with kids, and I work with Children's Hospital. And oh, basically, great. my life is built uh, upon uh, service and sharing my story in hopes of helping others. And it really makes life worth living. Detroit's becoming more of a community again, right? People are moving there. People are. I I know some people that have that uh, live in Detroit and they say something's changing in Detroit. Is that true? You can feel it. A hundred percent. Yeah. There's a, there's a big cultural shift after 50, 60 years of, of, of political corruption. Um, and, and, and the city, you know, basically, uh, uh, falling apart. Falling apart at the seams, there, there's been a resurgence, and it's starting in downtown Detroit, and it's starting to spread out uh, to the city limits. And, and, and it, it, it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen in, in two or three years. This, this is going to be a generational type of situation. Um, but it's, we're definitely, you know, we're, we're tough people. Uh, people from Detroit are tough, man. We're, we're resilient and we're gritty, and uh, we we like to roll up our sleeves and get to work. That's what this that's what the city was founded upon. Can you talk um, a little bit about about because friends of mine, my actually my older son too, the the city is now giving the the kind of abandoned homes to people if they're guaranteed to fix them up and get them operational or they'll sell them to you for like a thousand dollars or something sure have you heard about this drew it's so exciting it makes me want to move to detroit it's it's a it's a great place to move to and it's a great place to invest in now um and there's so many of these abandoned houses because the 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 actual area square mileage of the city is so vast and so large um that it's almost too big and so, so you have a lot of these houses and you have a lot of, uh, of these programs coming in and people investing into the city. And I, I, you see people all around taking advantage of these programs. And for me, it's just, it's just going to be, it's, it's, it's a sight to see. And Hopefully cool. my Brick children, houses. you know, will, once yeah, really. be, will, will be able to see Detroit in, in all of its glory when they get older. I have a feeling it's coming back and that you're getting some industry to come back there. Um, but, but one of the things that, it was about 10 years ago. A friend of mine bought a house there that was three stories with an elevator. Jesus. For like $250,000, right? Yep. It was falling apart, yeah. right? And all, but there's, there's all these incentives for people to move back to Detroit and take care of your 
community if, and if start a right, coffee shop yeah. and start a record store and yes. re-energize the communities. And it's exciting that it's happening all across America, but, but Detroit was way ahead of the curve. Yeah, you're getting a lot of that now. It, it really is exciting. Yeah. So, Bob, this is Zach, I think, is a good person maybe to bring this topic of that we were discussing because he's dealing with youth and disenfranchised youth and disconnected youth. The media. You want to talk a little about the media. We never got to it. Yeah, I just think there's so much. There's some pet peeves I have about media, and I don't know where the rules come from. So this thing with Lady Gaga, right? And she was singing a song at the Grammys with the guy Bradley Cooper. I don't know if you saw it. At the the Academy Awards. Yeah, and a bunch of Academy Awards. A bunch of people making it like they're having an affair. They're actors, they're, they, you know, they're they're musicians. You, I, listen, when, I, I when would Dolly argue. Parton and Kenny Rogers sang "Islands in the Stream," nobody said they're fucking. Yeah, it, it's ridiculous. And, the and, Twitter media is ridiculous. Well, that goes without saying. But we respond to it, and we, you know, but mainstream media quotes Twitter. Oh, of course. And I wonder, you know. You come from a world that's kind of known, Zach, for manipulating the truth and, and distorting reality and is wrestling real and all that stuff that went on in the 80s and 90s, right? What do you exactly what, don't you think the whole world has be, just become wrestling? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly what I think. Exactly right. It, I, that's the, the glasses in which I view um, our, our political landscape. Uh, our media, yeah, social WWE media, everybody is, is becoming a character and they're either a good guy or they're a bad guy or they're something to elicit an emotional response in their audience to get them to keep coming back. It's that's so all crazy. this is. And that's all I see. So I, I've been quoting lately. Uh, I remember when I was like a, I was probably a teenager. I was watching a 60 minute thing. It was in the seventies. And this this sixty minute sort of investigative reporter was talking to a Soviet journalist in Russia, and she was busting his balls and you know the, the manipulation of the Soviet press. And finally, he looks at her and he goes, he goes, look, in our country, in the Soviet Union, the media, the news media, is a political enterprise. In your country, it's a commercial enterprise. You will manipulate things just as much for commercial ends as we will for political ends. Why are you judging us? And now wow. we're in, and now we're in a zone where the commercial goal of capturing eyes is so out of control that it's, I would argue, more distorted than a Soviet political enterprise. At least then they had some, I wouldn't say obligation, but need to be truthful so they weren't found to be lying you know what right. i mean to, to be overtly manipulating here doesn't matter it doesn't matter whatever narrative they can cram up the ass and the that's American what people, I, they the, will do it and the reason why i bring it up zach is because i've been talking about this detroit and baltimore those are the two towns i learned i had to learn it from my 24 year old son that these programs are in detroit that you can buy a home for a thousand dollars these read the re um, metropolitanization of America is actually work happening and it's working, but yet media doesn't cover it. Media doesn't cover anything positive. Anything doesn't fit their narrative. They have narratives. They this that is they, exciting that Detroit is coming back, hey, and he's proud to be well. De- but from if Detroit. if somebody in a MAGA hat beat up a black boy, that's the narrative. That's the narrative. We're gonna we're gonna go with that. Go immediately. It's a modern lynching. Modern lynching. Immediately. 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 But begs no. And when that when that Jesse Smollett thing broke, I went. Two in the morning, minus five degrees. Two guys waiting for him. That and and just so with the bleach and the hats and what? Now what? I I at least just went. It's it's too horrible to to really question severely, but it just wasn't making sense to me. But get back to Zach. Zach, doesn't that thing that happened with that kid in Chicago? Doesn't it seem like something that McMahon would come up with? You can totally see that on Monday Night Raw and them spinning that into an That's angle exactly leading right. to, on the road to WrestleMania. But They might even have the kid at WrestleMania. Yeah, the kid, the guy, that might funny. be a thing they might want to do. The whole That's world really is becoming wrestling. But, but here's yeah. the thing that bothers me. If, if the media would just go, like the news media would just go, oh, either one of two things. Like, well, uh, you know. Got caught. We got caught with our pants down. We should check. We should check our sources better, or maybe we should not run with the narrative, you know, initially. But you know, that's the way we are. We go with this stuff. Or they need to put together like a Manhattan Project where they look at themselves 
and like try to change their culture because there's something horribly wrong. If this were medicine or law, oh my God, there would be like meetings about this. But the journalists just go, hey, stop calling us fake news. Stop it. Right. Don't you dare. We we work hard at it. Like, no, well, get your shit together. Stop reporting fake news, and then we'll stop saying it's fake news. It's not even news that's being reported. And that's why I just like it's more like what Zach says. It's just the characters that they've made up and the attention that they get. The narrative. And then the narrative. But, but there's something going on good here in LA. It's a thing called Spectrum News. Have you ever heard of it, Zach? No. It's a new thing. It's all local news, all local stories about like the 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 housing projects and the positive things happen in the community, the opportunities happen in the community. I was on it last Thursday. It was amazing. Well, New York One's always been that, right? Yeah, and it's so that modeling thing. spectrum. Do you have spectrum here? Yeah, they've asked me to come. I'm trying to get to them on Friday. Yeah, you got to go on. It's really great because yeah. it's stories that you really care about, like Zach working with the kids and and trying to inspire yeah. important things that are going on instead of all of this wrestling. Not that I don't <laughs> like wrestling, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> but the whole well, no, there's got to be a market for that. I mean, it's almost like a cottage industry or a result of the you're either on this side or that side that the media has really exploited. Well, I you know think, what I'm saying? No, but there's got to be a market for it. I think ju- let's think about this a little more deeply because I think just like wrestling, wrestling sort of like cotton candy. You know what I mean? We'll all kind of direct our vision that way we kind of like we naturally it, it knows how to capture our eyes when it knows how to get our attention but we're also going on the intellectual dark web we're listening to podcasts it's created all that to get us away from the cotton candy and we're looking for we're looking for steak or if you're vegan something like yeah, that. yeah <laughs> something a little different in yeah. appetite but but you know i i gotta admit like the when I'm turning the channel, especially when Raw is on, and you and you click on it at the right moment when you're channel surfing, and there's a bad guy like yeah. the sergeant guy. I remember the sergeant guy. I like you know because I'm not a big big sergeant. Sergeant Slaughter. Sergeant Slaughter. The Iron Chief. I love yeah. that guy. I loved hating that guy. You know what I mean? I you know it just he's, yeah he's an exaggerated version of what I unhealthily don't like about authority you know what i mean yes and so it's this it is so this, you can't not look you yeah can't you look can't away. not look right because <laughs> i know it's a joke and i know he's exaggerating the stereotype of a sergeant an army drill sergeant i hate those army drill sergeant authoritative types i watch that's that's good for wrestling or sports or entertainment it shouldn't be for news and media and politics right so so your point is exactly so my point is uh, uh, republicans and the cpac meeting was yet over the weekend just the a picture of elizabeth warren can set them off into drama you know what i mean as trump does for liberals yes right is weird and we got to get away from that we got to learn what it is and get away from it and get back to things like helping our disenfranchised communities, yep. helping our helping revitalize well, but, our great cities like Detroit, but Bob, doing the, something positive. But, but listen, you, you've 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 t- tapped on something really really important when you brought up the spectrum thing in the context of this bigger national problem of of the what do we call the news media, the the wrestling match that is news media, is that it forces us all to look locally. Because the national thing is like, oh, yeah. but 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 we do start. Well, to people look at, are already asking me who I'm going to vote for president. It's not even for two years. It forces I don't you know. to look locally. Is, the, what does that matter? Do we so have to wait two years till we're, something important we're happens? We're overwhelmed by the national thing, so we start to look locally to our cities and our counties, and where we can really get something done. Yeah, and I think that's, this is where I live. I don't live in Washington D.C. Right. What does Washington do for you? Name one thing. Um, it 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 did curb the opiate epidemic. I can tell you that's one good thing that they did. I, I agree with you. Right? Yeah. A little too much, I would say. I would agree with you. <laughs> a little they, bit. They, they Wouldn't you not... agree, Zach? A little bit of opiates is pretty good. Yeah. A little bit goes a long way when it comes to the opiates. <laughs> now it's literally verboten anywhere in America for it to get a... Yeah, I told a, you I was there when I saw... when I, I was in the White House when they announced that policy. Like you get I'm people like, oh, with boy. broken legs at the emergency room being given seven... 
given seven like low grade yeah. opiates. Yeah. Like that's a little ridiculous. It's a little ridiculous, but it, it we needed to turn the battleship around, so you had to you know, hit hard and furious. And okay, it's it's done it. It's done it. And so now with the they kids, won't get the credit for it though. There'll be no credit. I yeah, promise. no, no, there's no credit. <laughs> so with the kids. Um, have you been working with them long enough to have adults that you worked with that you mentored and and that their lives have turned around? Because that's the most rewarding uh, thing. The the best thing for me is um, these these five and six year grants uh, that we get that we get to implement and work with these kids. So we'll we'll meet these kids when they're uh, thirteen years old in eighth grade, and they are bad kids. There's no way. There's no other way to describe. Um, but we get to work with them every single year. So we see, not only do we, we, do we inspire them and give them these tools and then, and then, and, and then give them the motivation to bend down and pick them up and, and, and get to work. We get to see their progress from when they're eighth grade, ninth grade, 10th grade. Uh, we, we, we establish a connection. And then when you see one of these kids who come from, you know, foster or they, they're in a severely broken home, terrible environment and you see these kids you know graduate high school and go on to college there really isn't a feeling that that or a word that i can describe that feeling right you know and and it, because it because because it feels like you're making a difference you we know have, we have to take a, um we have to take you're, you're 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 seeing these kids who, who who by all accounts and every single a person would look at these kids as hopeless. Um, their situation is, are, is dire. You know, they go they go to these schools that look more like prisons than they do schools or places of learning. And uh, their home life is even worse than their school life. And you see them, um, at, at the light turn on and the possibilities open in their minds. And it's like, well, maybe I can, Maybe there's another life out there outside of what's in my neighborhood right now. Right. Um, and to see them walk that path and, and to graduate high school and, and to go on to, to great things is really amazing. And that it's possible that they could have that life. You need people around kids that come from disenfranchised yes. backgrounds to keep reminding them, dude, yes, you can have that life. You know, because no one else in that the, the, family. The, the, right. That I'm sorry, Bob. I don't mean to, I don't mean to step yeah. on your toes. Yeah. I, I get fired up talking about this, yeah, though, because I, they don't realize. It's not about, hey, you got to follow your dreams, follow your dreams, follow your dreams. I mean, that's what that's what everybody hammers down these kids' throat. Follow your dreams. The fact is, a lot of these kids don't have dreams to begin with. Right. So if they don't have dreams or, or or an idea of what could possibly happen beyond their environment, beyond what they what they can see and touch and feel, then how can they follow their dreams if they don't know what they are in the first place? Right. That's it. And that's what I think, you know, you know, you're in the 12 step world, probably in the 12 step world. I always figure you're helping an adult become an adult. It's not that big right. of a deal. Well, but I, to I, help I, a <laughs> child who, to help a child who's eight or 10 or 12, who's headed towards prison and a life of oh, yeah. multi-generational poverty. Oh, yeah. They're just yes. a link in the chain of that and help inspire them to get off that track into mainstream life is one of the most amazing things. So let me just quote, do. quote some data that when, when people study kids that come from, traumatic backgrounds they find that the outcomes of these children are typically not they can't explain the ones that do well and because there's some it's a mentor somebody taking it an turns interest. Out, exactly right turns out that a single sustained quality relationship with an adult outside the home typically somewhere on age eight to ten that's sustained throughout adolescence turns the course entirely Right, it can turn that. I was one of those kids. I come from an alcoholic, broken, and abusive home. When I was four years old, my father decided that his relationship with drugs and alcohol was going to be more important than his relationship with me or my mom. We grew up in government housing. We had four bullet holes in the side of my mom's station wagon. Uh, 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 you know, on the way to uh, before we woke up to go to preschool that day. That's the environment that I came from. And then at eight years old, of course, the tra- the, the, the traumatic event of cancer, losing yeah. my leg, and uh, seeing my mom struggle. You know, yeah. doing everything that she can on her own to. Uh, provide for me while her while her kid's dying in front of her. Ugh. You know, 
and, uh, and to go, I can't even imagine. I have a, I have a six it? and a two-year-old right now, and they're the most perfect, beautiful little boys you've ever, you'd ever meet in your life. And the fact is, through the application of spiritual principles, I can be the father I never had of these kids. They've never seen me high. They've never seen me drunk. They've never seen me hit their mother. They don't have to grow up in the environment that I grew up in. They can grow up in a stable and loving environment. And in addition to... And all of my work perpetuates that, and I can I can do that for other kids too that uh, walk similar paths as I did, man. There, and that's what makes life worth living for me. Who was it that was there for you at at eight or through that cancer or post that cancer? Once you had your leg, or, or maybe it was just recovery that got him. Was it a wrestling coach? Was it some? It's usually in my day it was sports coaches. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. And there, there, I I didn't have I didn't have. Uh, any, re- <laughs> you talked about not liking authority. I didn't have any relationship with anybody in authority, especially a, a male uh, role model, until uh, until I got sober. Okay, uh, that so was the first, first time I ever had a, a positive male uh, role so model in my life. So, who was it that got you through into life? Your mom. What well, that was my love of professional wrestling, because I, because my when my leg was amputated two weeks. I, uh, they let me go home for the first time. My grandma ordered the 1992 Royal Rumble for me, which Ric Flair won the WWE uh, Heavyweight Championship for the first time. And for the three hours that event played in front of my eyes, uh, I didn't feel the pain of not having my leg. I didn't feel the pain of uh, of having cancer. I didn't feel the pain of not really fitting in or not having my dad around. Uh, all of that went away when I when I tapped into the magic of professional wrestling. And he probably oh. had a bunch and, of other, lots of relationships up there. But really, sobriety is what got him out. Um, did you have a Ewing sarcoma? Is that what happened? I had osteosarcoma. Yeah. That's sort of typical kid leg tumor. It's awful. Jeez. Well, Zach, listen, thank you for the work you're doing, and thank you for spending some time with us here. We really Detroit. appreciate it. Yeah, we, hey, my pleasure, guys. Like I said, you guys are absolute legends. I love you guys very much. Thank you for all you do, both of you, for people like me and for the people who love people like me. Um, your your sphere of influence is so large, and I'm so happy that I was able to share some time, space, and experience with you guys. Well, we very much for so. coming on. Listen, man, Go down. Is, is is St. Andrew's Hall still there with punk bands? Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. St. Andrew's I'm, Hall. I'm laughing. I've performed in St. Andrew's Hall probably 20, 25 times. Oh, my, my God. Entire career. I love it's that a historic place. building. It really so, is. Follow Zach. Zach Gowan, G-O-W-E, and Instagram, Twitter, at Zach Gowan, ZachGowan.com. Thanks, Zach. We'll talk soon, I hope. Thank you, guys. All right. So long. We'll take a little break. Be right back. Well, CBDs are everywhere, right? Everyone's talking about them, and it's a topic that I get asked about all the time. Bottom line on CBD, although there are way more claims made about them, the clinical evidence right now, mm, it's not all that clear, but many people are using it and reporting great results, and they are very encouraging. So I want to first define exactly what I'm talking about here. CBD is cannabidiol, an extract from hemp. While you might associate with marijuana, CBD does not cause reinforcement. It is not the reinforcing component of hemp, but it is what's responsible for the calming or some of the relaxing effects that many people experience, not the high. Now about the products. There are a ton of them on the market today. For getting the vast array of the reported health benefits, it's important to be aware of what you're buying. I was recently introduced to a company called Select CBD, an Oregon-based company that focuses on high-quality ingredients and manufacturing standards, not the hype. Their CBD-based products are available in a wide range of formulations and flavors, each of which is described to you so you can make an informed decision without all those promises that are probably too good to be true. Like I said, the reported benefits of CBD by individuals using this are very compelling. I'm excited to see how things develop as the science catches up with this booming industry. As usual, the public is ahead of the science. I can't make explicit claims yet, but boy, the reports are pretty encouraging. So if you're ready to try CBD, I encourage you to check out Select CBD. To learn more, go to drdrew.com select. That's on my site, drdrew.com S-E-L-E-C-T. And for a limited time, you can save 25% at checkout with the code drdrew, D-R-D-R-E-W. Again, drdrew.com select, and then the code D-R-D-R-E-W. And we are back, and we are, yes, we are offering a birthday celebration to our, to Nate the Man, our engineer. Happy birthday to, to you. you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Nate. Happy birthday to you. He came in on his birthday to help us record these podcasts. Oh, He's the genius yeah. of all podcasts. It's true. He's How the... many podcasts is Nate a part of in a week? 20? I'm sure. Not that many. I'm sure. Happy Nathan year. Five a day. 
F- I mean, five a, five a week. There's two every day. Two and then ten whatever every with day. You guys. Ten two, every ten week. week. Plus, and then all just. No, no, no. Cupcakes for everybody. Yeah. So this is the great producer brought cupcakes for all. So ten. Those are crazy looking cupcakes. They are beautiful. Twenty a week. Probably you do a week. So I know we've completely changed gears on this pod. We've said goodbye to Zach, and now we brought Simone Bien in, who just happened to stop by, and we asked her to sit down and for the cakes, me. for the cakes, and for, for Nathan's birthday, birthday, and to just do some emails with us. So you know, I was I was spinning past Instagram and caught on something here, and I started down a rabbit's hole of thought, which is: Is Simone your given first name? Yes. Okay. Yes. So it's as if your parents knew what your career vocation was going to be. You are so, do you know what? <laughs> that's this, a, that's a, a perfect sex name. <laughs> sex therapist. Well, I was actually named, and this, this, uh, this is where sort of the comparisons end, and this is where you're so smart. I was named after Simone de Beauvoir. Yeah. Oh, my go. gosh. And then, without knowing that. That's my that, favorite existential philosopher. You know what's weirder <laughs> about that? Do you know what's weirder? The, the, I remind you of her so much with our existential Weirder, weirder, weirder. Oh, I was I was talking about her philosophy one day, and Bob goes, "Oh yeah, I knew her." <laughs> he goes, <laughs> I, yeah, met her one "I met her. I took her around, had lunch with her." And I'm like, "What? <laughs> oh, you met Simone de Beauvoir? You're a legend." Yeah. She made a movie called Blood of Others. Oh my gosh! How crazy is that? Oh my gosh! You see, even my mom is going to be so impressed with that. Yeah, that's. Did you know wow. she was at the time? Did I you kind of knew Sartre from college, and then Sartre. I knew that you knew Sartre, Sartre. You knew his girlfriend was Simone yeah, de and and she was always oh with him. Gosh. Yeah, but in the white privileged male world that we live in, I always thought that he was the important. One. Her literature is actually more successful uh, okay. and more so, world renowned right. so than Paul, him. John Paul Sartre was sort of the. He was just a media figure. Well, but he was the final stages of continental existentialism. And his girlfriend was Simone de Beauvoir, and she... Much more insightful. Much, yes, that's much what I'm more saying. Reasonable, much more applicable, much more real, much more rich. And yeah. no one listened to her stuff. And she subjugated herself to him. Oh, did she? she always yeah, they he had was an the office. Real... I have a picture of them. They had an office oh with this two tables, oh. yeah. two tables in it, and they would write side by side in the same room. Yeah, wow. and he would, he got all the notoriety. So Sartre, Camus, these are all these French existentialists from the time. And he wrote a book called "Being and Nothing." Was that Sartre's big one? "Being and Nothing." Uh, uh, no, uh, wrote, Be, "Being and Time" was uh, Heidegger, and then "Being and Nothing" was was uh, Sartre. And uh, his, I don't like his philosophy at all. At but, all. And what is it that you don't like? It it's not. It doesn't ring true to me. Right. It, it it's so abstract and it's so cold and it's so. Di- he doesn't even have any understanding of psychology at all. Right. She has a deep uh, understanding yeah. of hu- human experience and human nature, and it's, she. So you are named after her. I'm named after her, and it wasn't something that my mom and I discussed. Why did she live in the shadow of a man for 50 years? That's what I. That's what puzzles me. I know. Les Francais, we have to ask him. There's a cultural piece there, too. Yeah. Post-World War II, French. I don't know. She had to know I'm way smarter than him the whole time. I hope so. (laughs) But women generally do that about themselves. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right, but still, and and anyone can absolutely tell me if this isn't the case. But certainly in Paris, uh. Uh, we used to hear in England that it was still the very Parisian way. Parisian women would have babies, and literally one week after having a baby, they would look absolutely perfect because it was quite well known that their husbands. It really was, and I'll put okay in speech marks, it was okay for them to have extramarital affairs. Mm. It's kind of expected. So French women look absolutely, get their fine underwear, get their bodies back what, in shape straight away. to try to hang on to the husband? Or? To hang on to the husband. Oh, and so just going into into your point, Bob, what you were saying about Simone de Beauvoir, Simone de Beauvoir. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, Living it's, in the shadow it's interesting, of isn't it? It's, it's a weird thing. Let's, uh, go, let's, yeah. go to some, let's go to some, uh, let's see. It is the perfect name for what you do. Thank <laughs> you. And, and no one has ever said that. And, and 
You are a genius. Oh. You're Here is so a, perceptive. Some email. You're, uh, I had brain surgery. Oh, gosh. I had brain surgery in my orbital frontal cortex and frontal lobe when I was eight. Since then, personality, severe anger, anxiety, depression changed drastically. 20 years later, I'm trying to get dialectical behavioral therapy, which would help him. It, it, so, okay. What anger was the famous case of the guy who got the bar it's, stuck it's through ex- his head? That's exactly right. What it's is that case? Phileas Cage. There's a, do you know about this guy? Yeah. He, he was, was a, a minor. No, he was a rook on the railroad. A railroad and he was guy. tampening explosive down with right. a tampening rod, which are these giant metal rods, and the thing blew up and it went through his head. But it didn't so affect him in any crazy. way. Well, what? no, hold on. No, but, well, wait to hear the story. Yeah. Okay, okay he, go on, so Dr. It blew, Drew. It blew out the his doctor eye. will yeah. tell us. It blew out his eye, and it came out the top of his head. So he had a couple of difficult days, and then he recovered. Oh, I love that. And can, can, may I? I'm so on. sorry. <laughs> difficult days. Yeah. Imagine if that happened. <laughs> just imagine if that happened to a millennial Los Angelian. They would talk about it the rest of their existence. No, I'm sorry, but I, I think that is okay too. Yeah, you know, when right. you when you get stabbed through the eye and, through and, the razor, and that is difficult ex- day. And it's exactly the region that was that the, right. our emailer has had damage wow. the orbital frontal system, right? Oh, it, it gets worse, eye. Simone. Okay, Listen. so oh, okay. so. He comes up from that, and he like seems okay. Everybody thinks it's a miracle, is what the they report was. They think he's was. okay, and he seems all he right. He can talk. He can talk. He seems fine. He's sort of himself, sort of, but he's a little more passive. Uh-huh. Uh, he has trouble returning back to work. He was a, he was an executive. He was a very hardworking. He was a railroad guy. He was laying down railroads. Couldn't seem to do that anymore. And then he gradually deteriorated to the point after about ten or fifteen years of a madman. Well, where he was, he apparently was like a stagecoach driver. He could like was like a taxi driver uh-huh. down the road, and he couldn't control his language. He used expletives. He would reach sexually at people inappropriately. He was out of control with anger and dysregulated. Oh. So the orbital frontal system we know sits yeah. at the, the the focus here of our lobes. And allows us to appreciate the content of others' minds, allows us to regulate our own affect. And all that exchange he didn't have anymore. And so he became a sociopath, essentially. Like a sociopath. Uh, except a sociopath with, with disinhibited, right, who had no right. inhibitions. And uh, it was not pretty. And not very sophisticated, because sociopaths naturally kind of grow to become readers of people and take right. advantage. He had none of that. He was a nice guy. Yeah. And then a piece of iron went through his brain oh and he was a sociopath. Yeah, yeah. And how many years ago was this? This is 1850s and it's a oh. famous, famous case. If you want to read about it, it's in a book called Descartes' Error by Damasio. Um, really good description of it. And there's, there's controversy around the case and stuff but it fits my understanding. Well, of one was his old friends reported this is not the same man. Right. Right? It, it, just how he talked, how how he thought. You know, it was as if it's the person that I grew yeah. up with or I yeah. worked with for 20 years, but this is not the same man was the quote. Right. As, and as we now know, traumatic brain injury changes our personalities and things. But he, this particular caller, this particular writer, Kyle, um, he, dialectical behavioral therapy is exactly the kind of thing that might help him. And he needs that. He, poor guy should get it. Now, at Christmas. And some medication, too. To, what, what's his name? The Kyle. Guy? Kyle, Kyle. Um, lovely Kyle. We hope you get better soon. Um, at Christmas, we had a friend who basically fell down some stairs in Soho. He'd had a couple of drinks. Soho, London. He'd had a couple of drinks, but it really wasn't like he was, you know, completely trolleyed. Trolleyed? Trolleyed, meaning I don't know where that comes Means from. To go on the trolley and not. not <laughs> what does it mean? Meaning very, very drunk. Okay, trolleyed. Oh, I think it means not drive. <laughs> Occasionally, take the trolley home. Oh. Oh my gosh, Bob, you're just like. Oh, I, I've just been really drunk and I know all the terms for it. <laughs> <International>. <laughs> I've been called it in every culture. You should not drive in every culture. <laughs> and um, and so he he uh, he you know had blood gashing from him. He seemed absolutely fine. And then the people at the bar said, no, 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 just go to hospital. So he went to the socialized healthcare system in the mm-hmm. UK. And they said, do you know what? You, you look okay, but just stay here overnight. Overnight in a coma. Mm. And for three days, didn't know whether he was going to live or die. Who He is, so he did survive, the loveliest guy. But the reason why um, I'm mentioning this is I was talking to 
my coach who is um, into hypnotherapy and NLP, and we were talking about um, brain, uh, you know, healing brain, heal, proper brain trauma, mm-hmm. right? And um, and he was talking about hypnosis, and so I recorded like this guided meditation for our friend Darren. Um, but what he noticed, sorry, going back to Darren, what he noticed is he was absolutely fine. Um, had to learn how to walk, but now suddenly... Personality behavior, changes, yeah. Very and, common. And Especially if it happens early in life. Very, very common. Um, yeah. I think we have to wrap it up now. Okay, let me just tell one quick story, which is regarding this young lady that's sitting next to us, uh, named after Simone de Beauvoir. I, I, looked, what a, what into, I looked into <laughs> Western equine encephalitis, and oh. seizure is a common presentation. Oh, See, she had a generalized seizure and then was encephalopathic for four days, and they didn't do any workup on her no. for encephalitis. Uh-huh. I couldn't believe it. When was this? Oh, she didn't Bob, call it was, us, which it was, was her first mistake. It was awful. Well, I wouldn't have remembered your name. Oh. I didn't know mine. That, that, and they were and going, well, it's just really your annoying. seizure. It's like, no, seizures not do that. Yeah. Does not do, she, didn't have, she didn't have status. She had a sudden seizure and was encephalopathic. And, and what a, caused the encephalopathy? Oh. Encephalitis. From a mosquito virus, I guarantee. Oh, okay, yeah. And then I said, I go, I go, uh, Simone, did you have mosquito bites? Oh, we were inundated with mosquitoes the week before. Yeah, it was the week before, and I remember looking it up, and I was talking with my clients about it, going, "Have you been bitten recently?" And there was like this, like, where, where were you bitten? Here in LA, in LA, Western equine encephalitis happens every summer. There's all kinds of stuff coming this summer. I'll tell you about and, it in the next podcast. And there was a big outbreak in yep. October. In Burbank area. Yeah. Oh, because and of the just... rains. Because of the horses. What? Equine. Equine encephalitis. It's mosquitoes. It's because of the next How come some... people that work around horses don't get it all they the do. time? Not all the time because the mosquitoes take it out, vector it. Yeah. I'm very tasty, which I think means, <laughs> no, which I think means smelly. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's wrap it up. Thank you for helping out with some of these. We'll leave it with that. <laughs> Sweaty. Thank you for this, and Simone, come back soon for a pod. Yes. Thank you. Right. I will. And we'll see you next time. Okay. All right, that's about it for this episode of This Life. Thanks for listening and subscribing on your favorite platforms. Rate us five stars and tell a friend. Also, be sure to visit drdrew.com for the latest news. We'll tell you where you can find all of our health-related content, including the latest in-depth series, The History of Opium. You can now listen to it on the weekly Infusion podcast. We have some great and very interesting and appropriate interviews with key historical players in the history of opium. We're excited about our newest podcast, Dr. Drew After Dark, which has been described as a dark web reboot of Loveline. It's the hottest guest spot for all the most popular comedians. Beware, it is for a mature audience. It is kind of a reboot of Loveline. You can hear the episodes first in a podcast form Thursday. Then on Friday, you can watch all the video episodes when the YouTube page drops on the Your Mom's House YouTube channel. New episodes every week. Subscribe, tell a friend. Also on Doctor.com, you can find Swole Patrol, our health and fitness podcast with Mike Catherwood. If you want something a bit more refined that will expand your intellectual horizons, please subscribe to the Dr. Drew Podcast, where I feature a wide variety of very interesting and important guests. Get in-depth interviews there. Last but not least, me and Adam, Adam and Dr. Drew Show Podcast. It's a lot of fun, and we are still together, and you can get it five days a week. So go to DrDrew.com, please tell a friend, and we thank you for it. And thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.